Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and may the thoughts and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, you can only imagine their surprise. You see, they'd, uh, they'd just spent 10 months at sea. They just traveled thousands of nautical miles, and they just rounded the southern tip of South Africa, the Cape of Good Hope. And that's when on May 20th, 1498, they finally arrive in the port of Calicut, India, the first Europeans ever to sail there. Now, for those of you who may be wondering, uh, this story is uh, the story of Vasco da Gama. Uh, he's a Portuguese sailor, and a little over a year earlier, uh, the king of Portugal had given him a commission and three ships to go and find a sea route to India. And the reason why is uh, rather simple. You see, up until this point, uh, if you were living in Western Europe and you wanted to trade with the Far East, there was only one way to do that. I was used something called the Silk Road, this, uh, this connection of land and sea routes that connect places like Southern Europe and North Africa with places like the Middle East, India, and China. And if you're living in uh, Western Europe in the late 15th century, uh, the Silk Road works, but it has two major drawbacks. You see, first, it's very unsafe. And second, it's very expensive. And so in the late 15th century, uh, both Spain and Portugal, they, uh, they send out these expeditions, expeditions to find faster, safer, and less expensive routes uh, to places in the Far East like India. And these nations, they consider themselves Christian nations. And so as they, they head out, they see it as their duty, their first duty to also go and tell people the good news about Jesus. And so in July of 1497, Vasco da Gama and his crew set sail. And uh, about a year later, they arrive in the port of Calicut, India, the first Europeans to ever sail there. And so you can only imagine their surprise when they arrive. And the first group of people that they discover is a group of Christians. Now to this point in the story... Uh, that I should probably tell you that this story, uh, like most stories, is a little bit more nuanced than this. You see, first, uh, contrary to what we might expect, uh, Vasco da Gama and his crew uh, actually think that there's a chance that they're going to run into Christians. And the reason why has to do with this uh, legend that was widely circulated in his day, this legend that said uh, that somewhere out there, out east, among the Muslims... There's this lost Christian nation. And so maybe India, maybe India uh, is this nation. And so that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is this, and, and it's a little embarrassing uh, for Vasco da Gama. Uh, you see, the group of Christians that he discovers isn't actually a group of Christians. It's a group of Krishnas, uh, a group of people who worship the Hindu god Krishna, and it's a, it's a detail that, as you can probably imagine, is probably easy to get lost in translation. Uh, and so that's the second thing, but the third thing is this. If Vasco da Gama had sailed just a, 
a couple of miles further south, he really would have run into a group of Christians. And the reason why, it turns someone uh, that we hear about in today's reading. That someone is Thomas. But even more than that, uh, it has to do with our, our risen Lord. Our risen Lord who shows up behind locked doors and speaks a word of peace. A word of peace that calms fears. A word of peace that instills faith. And a word of peace that gives us confidence and courage. Confidence and courage uh, to people like us who believe... Uh, but people who believe oftentimes without seeing. And so it's with, uh, with those thoughts in mind uh, that I'd like to turn our attention uh, to the reading uh, that you just heard, uh, the reading about Thomas and the other disciples. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a story that takes place uh, between Jesus' resurrection on Easter morning and Jesus' ascension some 40 days later. There are seven uh, stories that take place during this time. And, uh, and this Easter season, uh, we're exploring all seven of them. We're exploring them in our sermons, uh, we're exploring them in our devotions throughout the week, and we're even exploring them as we gather for Bible study before the service. And, uh, and what I did not realize until I lined all of these stories up is that three of these stories uh, either take place on, or at least start, on Easter Sunday. These three different stories, uh, they're scattered across four different Gospels, uh, but when you put them all together, uh, you begin to see uh, just how much is really going on on Easter Sunday some 2,000 years ago. And if you remember uh, how that goes, uh, it all starts uh, with the story of the great earthquake that Matthew tells us about. You see, uh, an, an angel comes down, and then there's this great earthquake, and, and that's when the guards who are, who are standing around the tomb uh, become afraid. They become so afraid that they fall down like dead men. And the next thing we know, uh, John, uh, the gospel writer John, is telling us uh, that this is when Mary notices that the stone is rolled back, and so she goes and tells Peter. She goes and tells Peter, and she goes and tells John, and both of them race toward the tomb. And, and when they get there, they notice that Jesus' body is missing. I mean, he is gone. But pay attention to this. They don't see an angel. And they don't see Jesus. And, and John even goes out of his way to tell us that they don't even understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. Instead, Peter and John simply head home. And that's when three things uh, begin to happen at the exact same time. You see, uh, first, all four Gospels tell us that Mary Magdalene and another woman, who's also named Mary, head back to the tomb. And, and when they get there, they do see an angel. And they do see Jesus, and both the angel and Jesus calm their fears and give them the following instruction. Go tell the other disciples. Tell them that Jesus is risen. He's risen just like he said. And that's when, second, Matthew tells us that those guards, those guards who, who fell down because they were so afraid and were like dead men, well, they, they finally wake up. And when they do, these guards are afraid. 
They're so afraid uh, that they go and they conspire uh, with the Jewish religious leaders, and they begin to spread this rumor that, that Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. Instead, his disciples simply went and took his body. And that's when uh, third, Luke tells us uh, that the women finally get to the other disciples, and, and they tell them the good news. Uh, they tell them, but there's this problem. None of the disciples believe it. Now, to quote Luke directly, he says that their words, the women's words, seem to them, all of the other disciples, like nonsense. It seemed like nonsense. And see, that's why uh, none of the other disciples believe. None of them, and that's why uh, some of them, the group of disciples that we heard about in last week's sermon, uh, actually leave the city. They leave the city only to discover the risen Jesus on the road to Emmaus. But meanwhile, back in Jerusalem, John tells us that the rest of the disciples, the rest of the disciples except for Judas who's hung himself and Thomas who's, I guess, somewhere else? The rest of the disciples are hiding in a locked upper room. They're hiding for fear of the Jews. You see, instead of believing the good news of an empty tomb, instead of uh, believing the witness of the women, these disciples believe what they see. And what they see is Jewish religious leaders who've conspired with the Roman government to successfully put someone to death. And that someone is Jesus. And so now, as we move into Easter evening, these disciples are still afraid. Another story that you heard a little earlier in the service, uh, the story uh, that we hear uh, every year after Easter, the story about, uh, about Thomas, uh, is a story that often gets labeled the story of doubting Thomas. But you see, the thing that strikes me this year as we hear it is that uh, Thomas... See, when we were putting together today's bulletin, I was, I was really tempted to include the, the verse that happens right before uh, today's reason, reading. And, and the reason why is that this story uh, tells us how Mary goes to the other disciples uh, to tell them that she has just seen the risen Lord. You remember the problem. Uh, these disciples don't believe it. They're hiding uh, behind locked doors. And we don't get as many details as we do with Thomas. I mean, do any of them uh, come out and say that they are going to refuse uh, to believe it? But what we do know is that when Jesus shows up, everything begins to change. You know, it's the exact same story with Thomas. Uh, the disciples tell him uh, that they've just seen the risen Lord. And the only difference between the disciples and the women is that the disciples are far less trustworthy at this point than the women. You see, the disciples have denied Jesus. The disciples have deserted Jesus. But at this point, the women have done none of that. And so Thomas, Thomas refuses to believe, or, or to put it another way, uh, Thomas believes what he sees. 
And what he sees is a bunch of untrustworthy people telling him something that just doesn't make sense. And so he says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe it. You know, for all the times uh, that we uh, give Thomas a, a hard time for doing something like this, I want you to notice that this is not how Jesus responds. You see, a week later, um, Jesus shows up. And he could do all sorts of things. He could scold Thomas. He could rebuke Thomas. He could even punish him. But that's not what he does. Instead, he speaks a word of peace, a word of peace that calms fears. A word of peace that instills faith and a word of peace that gives confidence and courage. Peace be with you. And then he says, uh, put your finger here and place your hand in my side. Stop disbelieving and believe. You know, Thomas' response, it's, uh, it's the boldest confession of faith that we get in all of John's gospel. My Lord and my God. You see, all of this leads us uh, to verse 29. Jesus speaks to Thomas, but make no mistake, he is also speaking to us. You believe. That's what he says to Thomas. You believe because you've seen. But then it's almost like he looks over Thomas's shoulder at, at all of us, and he says, blessed are you, who have not seen and yet have believed. And at this point, I have uh, I've told you the story of Vasco da Gama. I've told you the story of Easter Sunday, and I've told you uh, the story about Thomas, the story about uh, what happens uh, immediately after that. If you were to ask me, uh, what does this story, the story about Thomas, uh, mean for all of us? I would tell you that it's all about what we see and all about what we are invited to believe. You see, we, we see one thing. We see this man, Jesus, but we're invited to believe something else. We're invited to believe uh, that he is more than just a man, that he is God himself. And, and yet the thing is, Jesus isn't the only thing that we see. And he isn't the only place uh, where we're invited to believe something else. Because we see things like, like our work, our jobs, school, this daily grind that wears us down, and yet we are invited to believe uh, that everything we do, even, even the undesirable stuff, even the mundane stuff, is given us by God. And that he uses it. He uses us as his instruments uh, to take care of everything he's made. Or, you know, we see things like our, our bodies, our bodies that suffer, our bodies that make us uh, wonder, how much longer can I last? And yet we're invited to believe something else. We're invited to believe that we are children of God. We're invited to believe that we are well-pleasing to him. We're invited to believe uh, that one day, with our bodies, we're going to live forever with him. 
You know, we see our world, our broken, hurting, sinful world, and every single day it looks more broken, more hurting, more sinful uh, than the last, and yet we're invited to believe something else. We're invited to believe that God loves our world, and he loves our world so much that he sent his son to die uh, for our world. He sent his son to die for people who disbelieve. He sent his son to die for people like Thomas. He sent his son to die for people like the disciples. He sent his son to die for people like you and me. You see, we see this one thing, but, but we're invited to believe something else. And if you're anything like me, then it can be a challenge sometimes. That's why the wonderful news that we discover in today's reading is that God knows this. He knows this, and yet he still comes. He still lives. He still dies. He still rises again. Put your finger here. Place your hand in my side. Stop disbelieving and believe. Now, if you, uh, if you remember back uh, to the story of Vasco da Gama, you remember that he, uh, he set sail in the year 1497 uh, to look for a sea route to India. And about a year later, uh, he arrives in India and he discovers a group of Christians who aren't really Christians. Oh, but then you remember that if, he, uh, if he'd sailed just a little bit further south, he really would have discovered a group of Christians. And, and those Christians, uh, they call themselves the Thomas Christians. And they trace their history uh, back uh, to the Thomas that we meet in today's reading. You see, the story uh, you heard today, it's the last time uh, that we hear about Thomas in the New Testament, but it's not the last time that we hear about Thomas in history. Uh, because many people tell us uh, that Thomas is the first person to bring the gospel, the good news about Jesus, to India. Thomas, who disbelieved. He arrives in India in the year 52. Uh, he ministers in a number of different communities. And then about 20 years later, at the point of a spear, Thomas dies. And he dies confident that our God who raised Jesus from the dead will one day raise him too. You see, Thomas's life uh, is a testament to what our risen Lord has the power to do. Our risen Lord who shows up and speaks a word of peace. And even though we don't see him, Thomas saw him. And, uh, and even though we don't see him, the disciples saw him. And he continues to speak a word of peace uh, in our midst. I mean, this is what happens every time we gather. He speaks a word of peace in the absolution. He speaks a word of peace uh, when we hear the scripture read. He speaks a word of peace uh, as God's word is proclaimed as we gather for the sacrament. God speaks a word of peace in our midst. And that word of peace calms our fears. That word of peace instills the faith. And that word of peace gives us confidence and courage as we live in a world like ours. And so uh, two weeks after Easter... Uh, it is my hope and prayer that God would grant you this kind of peace as you navigate our world, as you follow him.
in the name of Jesus. Amen. This time I'm